Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my hilarious co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Uh, apparently I'm super goddamn funny. You are, and that's our one. That makes us PG-13. <laughs> So we haven't actually been getting a lot of questions for the, the Lore Watch recently. Um, I'm not sure why, but if you do have questions, be sure to send them in. You can go ahead and send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com or any of our various channels on our Discord. Uh, if you're a Patreon supporter, we have one set aside specifically for Patreon supporters. And if you're not, we do have one set aside for Q questions, which we also look at for podcast questions. Uh, so if you do have anything you want us to cover, be sure to send them in. What we're gonna- question us! Yes, exactly what Matt said. Uh, so what we're going to be doing today is actually a suggestion from one of our listeners out there in which we are going to be going through uh, in another series, just like we did with the history and lore of the Diablo classes. We're going to talk a little bit about the history and the lore surrounding the various raids that have existed in World of Warcraft over the period of, well, 16 years at this point. Uh, and we're going to be starting out with probably, I think, one of the most iconic and also the first real large scale raid not the first raid because there were dungeons that are dungeons now that started as raids um but we're going to be talking about molten core there's a little problem though with molten core and it's we can't talk about molten core without talking about what brought it about and that is specifically the war of the three hammers uh which existed or happened i think what 300 years from the time the game started so I believe that's correct. Maybe a little bit more, but I don't know the number off the top of my head. It is something like that. And what sparked the War of the Three Hammers was a combination of a couple things. Um, and before we get into the finer details, it is the population of dwarves growing so large that they had to expand their range of cities uh, so that there were multiple cities throughout Azeroth in the mountains uh, that were under the rule of the High King, uh, Modimus Anvilmar, who is the who was the high king and ruler of the kingdom of Kazmodan. Here's the problem, though. He's immortal, and mortals die. And his death actually sparked the civil uh, disruption, because uh, there was a series of conflicts that was that made up that War of the Three Hammers between the three major clans. Uh, and that would be, uh, you have your Dark Iron, your Wild Hammer, and your Bronzebeard clans, all who were vying for control and leadership of the Dwarven Kingdoms. Now, it should be pointed out, uh, Monimus had an heir. Technically, he had the, four. The Anvilmar, the Anvilmar line continues to this day. There are living Anvilmar. Um, yeah, there are one two, of them, two named one ones, of them, I believe, right? You have... Well, one of, yeah, he died. One of them died. Uh, the other one is the... If you've ever seen the World of Warcraft action figures, there's one of a dwarf warrior. He's the last Anvilmar. Th- Thargas, I think it is? Thargas, yeah, I believe yeah. you're right. Yeah, because Halmar is the one that died. Yeah, he was considered the last patriarch. And apparently he had two other sons that have never been named. But we knew that he had four kids. Yeah, he had had four children in total. Um, But yeah, Thargus Anvilmar, who was a friend of Varian Rin for that matter, um, is still alive right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, He even showed up uh, during the destruction of Theramore. He was involved in the, 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 the talking about that in Tides of War. So he's been around for a while. He's still around. Technically speaking, he's the true king, and also of of, of all of them. And what we're he doesn't oh, sorry. he doesn't he hasn't tried to raise a claim. The Anvilmar family has not attempted to ever retake the uh, throne. Yes, yeah. that's 
Yeah, that's it, it's just worth noting that they still exist. And I believe canonically, he will come up later on when we talk about another raid, uh, which is also directly tied to Varian Rin uh, throughout the comics and Wolfheart as well. But yeah, so what do you want? Where do you want to start with the War of the Three Hammers? Well, I mean, you brought it up, so we should probably talk about what happened at the time when when basically the Mortimus Anvilmar died. Uh, Modimus had been, he was, the Avalmar family had been the high kings of, of not just Ironforge, but at the time, Ironforge was Kasmodan, and they were, the, they were synonymous. Mm-hmm. And he'd been the, the high king of the United Dwarves, all three clans. And when he died, he's, by the way, when you go into Ironforge, the big statue at the front, that's Modimus Anvilmar. Yeah, he's the form that the canonically that they take when they become the uh, avatar uh, in the RTS games, uh, or even the Defense of the Ancients. They're becoming, they're channeling the ancestral spirit of Modimus Anvilmar to become the avatar, and that's that's who they're the avatar of at that point. Sorry, I just thought that was an interesting tidbit. Please continue. Yeah. Uh, basically, Modimus during his reign, the three clans had basically formed and become, for lack of a better word, they'd become powerful enough to to have their own influence and monomus actually knew how to deal with them he was a diplomat who who could like balance the three clans against each other and keep things going uh the the bronzebeard clan was kind of related to him they the the anvilmar clan the bronzebeard clan was kind of an offshoot of it and the other two clans the uh wild hammers and the dark iron were just they had different influences dark the dark iron were were kind of the more mystical types they they had more of an understanding of the deeper earth the wild hammers were more into the natural world and wanted to actually do more on the surface they were also the ones who were really good griffin riders that was their their focus they were the shaman it was you had your, yeah. you had your mages and warlocks and then you had your shaman but when Modimus died the bronzebeard clan was like no we're not letting his his heir take the throne they ended up just it was like a vote of no confidence. You, there's no way you can fill Monomus's shoes. And Matterin Bronzebeard decided I'm taking the throne. They they tossed the Envilmar a sop. They were like, you get to be senators forever. Like your family will always have a representative in the Senate, but you're not going to be high king. Uh, the other two families were like, well, okay, we're not that upset that the Envilmar getting the boot. We don't really care about that. But why do you get to be in charge? Uh, the Wild Hammers were like, you know, we, I don't see any reason why it should be a bronze beard. And the Dark Iron were like, I don't see why it should be anybody but a Dark Iron. So at first, think of it as first as like three rival factions kind of like sizing each other up. But eventually it just straight up, the Wild Hammer were like, all right, we're not going to stay here and be ruled by a bronze beard. That's not happening. So they left. They officially left the Kingdom of Kasmodon and went up to what is the now Grim Batal. They didn't go to Airy Peak yet. They went to Grim Batal. Um, which is in the same area, but mm-hmm. it was, and it's, if you ever look at Grimbatal, like if you've ever been into the dungeon, Grimbatal is a very impressive structure. Yeah. And honestly, like, and this is just a fun little fact, Grimbatal looks very similar to how Ironforge was originally going to look, uh, back during the, the early days of the game, because that was what Dwarven cities were supposed to look like. Uh, it was supposed to be this massive, impressive mountain fortress with a huge, long, like, for lack of a better term, uh, draw distance. You're supposed to feel massive and lived in and deep. That's the other thing that it was. And if you look at Grim Batal, it really is a deep place, uh, which I think is absolutely just 
awesome and fascinating. Sorry, please yeah, continue. But, but Grimbatal, so they, they went and built Grimbatal, and that's where they lived. And they were, like, not... They were just straight up ignoring the Bronzebeards. The Dark Iron, on the other hand, went and, and created what is... Um, I'm trying to think of, like, when they, they didn't make the... Uh, the Blackrock Mountain stuff originally. I think they lived on the surface at first in the city that's now called Thorison. That is correct. The the ruins of Thorison. They used to, they had yeah. an above ground uh, yeah, settlement. They lived, they lived on the surface, um, but they were. St- I mean, it was an impressive city, and the the Dark Irons, especially under the Thorison family, Sorcerer Thane Thorison in particular, had ambitions, and they were like, "There's we're not letting the Bronzebeards keep Ironforge. Ironforge is ours by right. We built it." We're not letting them have it. So they began planning. Uh, the sorcerer Thane Thorison, whose wife Modgood was also a very powerful. Uh, I think she was a cleric. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, she was a, she she was was a cleric. Extre- uh, extremely powerful, though. Uh, and she found an artifact. Specifically, she found the talking blade um, Zalatath. I want to say, mm-hmm. and it began instructing her in in much more powerful magics that that they could use. The the Dark Irons came up with a plan, and that plan was that they were going to simultaneously hit the Bronzebeards and the Wildhammers at once, because they had the numbers. They had There were more Dark Irons than anybody else. They had the numbers to do this, and with Modgood's sorcery, they could literally appear inside Grim Batal. They could bypass everything. Yeah, ma- mass teleportation. So, by going through the shadows, they attacked the... Uh, they attacked Grim Batal and using the, the power of the dagger effectively tainted it. But Modgood didn't understand just how determined the Wildhammers were. The Thane of the Wildhammer clan found her and killed her himself, despite the fact that she had the artifact. Because mm-hmm. the artifact abandoned her at the last moment. Uh, so Modgood died, but in her death, she cursed Grim Batal. Yeah, it actually it actually rendered Grim Batal uninhabitable to the point yeah. where this is what that's the event that forced the Wildhammer dwarves to actually go and seek out their new home in Airy Peak. Yeah, they moved to Airy Peak because after Modgood's death, and it was a close thing, even getting to kill her. Like they, it was a hard fought battle. Uh, but when they did kill her, it, she cursed the place. It became unlivable. It was just you know the 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 shadow magic was everywhere, and so they had to retreat across the entirety of what's now. Oh bloody heck! I can't remember the name of the zone. It's a cataclysm zone. Come on. Come I on, I don't man. remember off the top of my head. But uh, the other thing that's very interesting. The Highlands, about- Twilight Highlands, Twilight, the Twilight Highlands. Highlands. Yes. Uh, they they cur- they went across the entirety of that. Then they went to what is now the you know Airy Peak, and that's where they they moved to. At the same time that that was happening, literally at the same time. Uh, Ironforge was under siege by the Dark Irons under Sorcerer Thane Thorison. Uh, Sorcerer Thane Thorison had found a book that was even more dangerous than the dagger that Modgood was using. And that book was called The Cipher of Damnation. Using it, he could control elementals. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't have to... None of that shamanism crap. None of that, you know, talking to them, figuring out what they want. Uh, not even... Not even dark shamanism, where you kind of force them to do it. This was mass enslavement. Like he could, he could, fo- he could field an army of elementals. They pressed down on Ironforge hard, but by this point, the Bronzebeards had found out that the Wildhammers were also under attack. The Wildhammers were so angry at the Dark Iron that they were like, you know what? We don't like the Bronzebeards, but f those guys. And so they came, they started marching to the rescue, and Thorson realized, I'm going to be stuck between two armies, and Modgood's army is gone. So for, I, don't have the, I don't have the numbers anymore. So he began to pull back. 
even with his elementals, he, he didn't think he could win. He began to retreat into what is now the Red Ridge Mountains, uh, but was not... At the time, the Red Ridge Mountains were just the Red Ridge Mountains. Uh, he retreated back until he got to the, 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 the city of Tharasan, where he decided, okay, we're going to have to make a final stand here because the Bronzebeards and the Wildhammers are coming. And they're angry. The, the Wildhammers just lost their home. The Bronzebeards nearly lost their home and had, you know, elementals rising up out of the, uh, the, the magma to attack them. So both of them were extremely angry and there was going to be no quarter given. So Sorcerer Thanthorasan, who'd lost his wife and, and wasn't feeling tremendously like giving up, figured, all right, I'll try a scorched earth policy here. He broke open the Cypher of Damnation and, and used its power to summon the most powerful elemental he could. And he got the most powerful elemental he could. It just happened to be a Fire Lord. The Fire Lord Ragnaros. Ragnaros. the Fire Lord, yeah, exactly. And when he did that, Thorasan stopped existing as a city. Mm -hmm. Because when Ragnaros touched down on Azeroth, the, I want to say that the Blasting Lands and Searing Gorge, those areas were created by his arrival. Literally all that stuff used to be the Red Ridge Mountains. And now more than half of Red Ridge Mountains were gone. You have to understand, too, like, I, and I can already hear the people talking about this or saying, but it's just Ragnaros. We fought Ragnaros multiple times, and he even had that, that foray into Hyjal Mountain where, you know, he his plane of existence sort of creeped in on ours, and it wasn't even necessarily nearly as bad as that. This is Ragnaros at still peak power. This yeah, is we've Rag never fought right we never fought Ragnaros at his No, and this is Ragnaros fresh after being imprisoned for eons. Uh this is Ragnaros who's been chomping at the bit to get back to the mortal realm, uh to get back to Azeroth in general, with all of that pent up uh, pent up power and anger and aggression touching down on Azeroth, causing just untold just buckets of destruction. Right. That's that's what touched down. It wasn't some little tiny like shell of his former self that's being pulled through to the material plane. No, it was him being pulled out of his prison. But yeah, it's also worth noting when Ragnaros touched down, he was furious that a mortal had attempted to use the Cypher of Damnation to enslave him because the rumor is we don't know this for absolute certain. But when the old gods came to Azeroth, the elemental lords were there already fighting each other. They didn't. It's not like. The reason that Draenor had elementals in, in peace amongst each other is that there's an abundance of spirit energy there. There's so much spirit energy on Draenor that the elementals could just get all they wanted. There was so much left over after the elementals got all they wanted that plants could become enormous, powerful monster things. Azeroth didn't have that because there's a titan sleeping inside Azeroth. Mm -hmm. And that titan drains as much spirit as it can to feed and grow. So Azeroth is comparatively barren of spirit and the elementals fight over it. So they were fighting each other, the four elemental lords. They'd been fighting each other for like countless eons. Olgod showed up, declared war on them, beat them through their like sheer numbers. They just kept making more and more and more and more servants out of their own bodies. But also they had this, the rumors, they had the cipher of damnation and they used it to enslave the four elemental lords. Imagine how angry Ragnaros was when some guy you know, nothing. One mortal being attempted to use that power on him after eons, after the Titans. You know, Thorson's ancestors were the were the um, the Earthen mm -hmm. who served the Titans. The Titans who came to Azeroth beat the Elemental Lords and then imprisoned them in the Elemental Planes. 
So knowing and now, this, w- one of their descendants is attempting to enslave him with the cipher of damnation. Wasn't happy. Yeah, and I was gonna say, and 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 the some folks have have said that this is like extreme hubris on the sorcerer Thane's part. It's really not, though, when you re- when you think about it. Thinking of the stories that you've heard of your ancestors and how they were the ones that fought and enslaved and and pushed back not just the elementals, but also stories of like possibly the Black Empire, because we know that there's some of that floating around, maybe not necessarily widely known to the common folk, but definitely to those in charge of their respective clans, because otherwise Magni wouldn't have known to do what he did. Uh, so there's a certain level of... I'm the most powerful magic wielder of my clan. I have these seven amazing, uh, amazingly powerful sorcerers that are work under me. Us together, our combined power can use this artifact to do exactly what our ancestors did. The problem is, it didn't exactly work out for him in the way. So, I mean, we could debate on the, the concept of whether or not how much they knew. Because I had forgotten a lot. Sure, and there's stuff that and definitely the lost the time as well, right? Uh, for instance, Magni wouldn't have known to do what he did if not for Alduar. True. Very, very true. He did not know about it before he got the tablet from Alduar. But uh, anyway, we know that the dwarves had a knowledge of Alduman. We know that they had access to the uh, Discs of Nurganon, although possibly not full access. It is fair to say that, you know, Thorson had, had at least a belief that he could do it. But he was absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. Ragnaros came down, blew up the city of Thorasan, killed a huge amount of dwarves, and destroyed the region so thoroughly that the Bronzebeards and Wildhammers, who were like literally coming over the mountains and saw this, were like, We're good. I don't think we need to do anything. They can't possibly still be alive, can they? I mean, that that was there was there used to be a mountain range here and it's not here anymore. That's that's gotta have killed them, right? I'm thinking it probably did. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, what was left was basically a giant charred spire of a mountain. That was it. Mm-hmm. That's all that was remaining in that land. The entire, the entirety of Searing Gorge, that huge cleft in the ground full of horrible, like, you know, elemental monsters, was created in this moment. And the entirety of the blasted lands uh, to, the, to the south also created in this moment. The only real remnant was that mountain. So, yeah, horrible destruction. The the Wildhammers were like, okay, we need to go find a new place to live, so we're going to go do that. The Bronzebeards were like, look, I get that you don't like that we have Ironforge, but come on, look what just happened. We really can't afford to hate each other. And so they didn't make peace exactly. It was a ceasefire. They had kind of an alliance of convenience. The two kings, the Wildhammer chief and the king of the Bronzebeards, effectively, if you if you go to Dunmoreau, their statues are right there on the road. Yes. The road passes between the statues of the two kings. The High Thane and the uh, Cadros Wildhammer. Uh, yeah. The High Thane Cadros Wildhammer, I believe. And I can't yeah. remember. The, I think it was Mataran Bronzebeard? No, I don't think it was Mataran. Uh, I think it would have been his son. But let me look up and make sure. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it is actually, you're right. It is Mataran. It's no. Mataran Bronzebeard and Cadros uh, built in the statues. Yep. So it's Cadros Wildhammer and Mataran Bronzebeard, who kind of like, they weren't buddies but they were like look obviously you guys have your own thing going on we've got iron forge let's just let everybody you know be what they are so they weren't allies and they weren't considered the same nation anymore but they weren't enemies and they kind of started heading down the path of becoming allies yeah the other thing that i thought was interesting about that is is while this marked sort of the end this event was the end of the war of the the three hammers right um because 
it it wasn't worth fighting anymore. Uh, the Wildhammer had enough things to deal with. Also because, um, going back to Grim Batal for a second, what happened there on top of everything else with uh, Madrid dying and leaving that sort of black, uh, dark spot on that, um, making it unha- uninhabitable, also left behind... Uh, a bunch of mutated Dark Iron Dwarves. And they're referenced in the game, although I don't think we've ever seen them. Uh, the creature is called the Skadron. And these are yeah. essentially, mm-hmm. like, if Cthraxi and Dwarves had children, that's what they would be. Uh, which is definitely, you know, makes sense when you consider, uh, what is it, General Umbris uh, and Zalatath being used in that particular place. Um, so... When we go there and we see all the trogs, that's after the squadron have either moved on or are deeper in the city. Um, they are all the dark iron that that survived, quote unquote, what happened there. So with the trogs, with General Umbris sitting there, with the squadron running around, uh, doing what they're doing, and being essentially more, almost more animal than dwarf at this point, uh, because they're just driven insane by the transformation of, of dark energies that have gone through their body, the Wildhammer don't have time to fight on top of everything else, right? They need to find a place to live. They need to find a place to secure their future, and they still don't want to be under the control of the Bronzebeards. And at this point, it's like, well, we're going to go do our thing. You go do your thing. If we need to fight a common enemy, that's great, but don't expect us to be besties. We're not going to be... I mean, one of not- the things that happened, too... Is Matterin at the end of the War Three Hundred? Matterin Bronzebeard offered the Wildhammer as a place inside Ironforge. He's like, mm-hmm. "Look, we, we can make a room for you. You can live here." And they were like, "No, we did. We we made our decision. We left. We're not going to be ruled by you. That's not happening." So the the Fandal Span Bridge was created to link the two. The reason that the the Bronzebeards, the Ironforge dwarves colonize the wetlands was to create to keep the link between airy peak and iron forge intact they wanted to they had wanted to have trade they wanted to to interact but there was no way they were going to let the other clan rule them and that's kind of how they started getting from cautious allies to kind of, i mean cautious okay this one time they started you know having trade between the the two they started having i wouldn't again allies seems like it's pushing it but they they were no longer antagonists. A truce. Yeah. But while this was all going on, people didn't realize that the the black Iron, the Dark Irons had survived. Yep. Not all of them, obviously. Quite a many of them died. But Thorasan, although not his sorcerers, they didn't make it. But Thorasan himself survived, partially because Ragnaros was interested in this being who thought mm, he could control him. I thought Thorasan died in the blast and it was his son. Oh, you might be right. Yeah, because I think um, I thought the I thought uh, Sorcerer Thane Thorisian or Thorison died with the original seven, and then the oh. only survivor was his oh, his son. Yeah, the- you're right. Thorison, the seven, and many other Dark Irons were killed instantly in the resulting immolation. You are correct. I had forgotten that. No, no, it's okay. It's, it's because now you have his young son, who's the only living uh, heir to that line at this point, the one that we interact with when we go into uh, BRD, the one that we go and murder. Um, he's the one that gets sort of uh, co-opted well, by Ragnaros. Well, well, it's not... The thing is, is that Dagrin Tharason, who's the one we see, is not the guy who survived. He's not the son of Thorason. And Magad, he's more like a grandson. He's a direct descendant, but he's not their son. Oh, that's right. No, because there was Dagron before that, right? 
Yeah, well, he's like Dagron the Third, I think. Dagron the Second, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because there's Dagron the Third. Is is uh, Moira's son? Son. Yep. But it, you know, oh no, actually no. Uh, Dagron Thorson the Second is his son. It says Thorson and Magad are his ancestors, but we don't know. We don't know who his father was. Hmm. Interesting. Okay then. Yeah, we don't. We just straight up don't know. We don't know how he descends from Thorson. We just know that he does. But whoever was the the Thorson heir was basically enslaved and forced to move his people to the mountain. Yeah. And in that mountain, Black Rock Mountain, they created the most impressive dwarf city on the face of Azeroth, as far as we know. I mean, there could be another dwarf city somewhere that's more impressive, but of the cities the dwarves created, this was the most impressive of the ones we know of. And you think about it, because they not only built it into what was essentially a, a mountain that is larger than uh, Ironforge, because it is larger than that mountain range canonically, yeah. but deeper, further, and into essentially molten lava. Because if you look at, like, let me put it this way: if you look at that mountain, if you look at every raid that is in that mountain, they are all part of the original Black Rock City mm-hmm. that the, that the Dark Irons created. And that's how many? Well, let's see, we have Upper Black Rock, Lower Black Rock. Uh, we have. Uh, Obviously, the, the Molten Core, because there's some area there. They have Black Rock Depths. Um, there's at least six different places that we yeah, visit. Blackwing Lair. Yep. They're, they're, all part of, they're all part of the original Dark Iron c- civilization that was founded and built there. I think that's right. I think six is right. I never remember the name of the Cataclysm one. Black Rock Descent, I want to well, say. Well, that's the raid, but there was also a dungeon. Keep talking. I'll look it up. Yeah. So, basically, the Dark Irons made this enormous city. Oh, Black Rock Caverns. Uh, again, Black Rock Caverns, okay. They made this enormous city, dedicated to Ragnaros directly, enslaved by the uh, by the Fire Lord. And then they started working on constructing a place for him to sleep. Because by being pulled forth into the mortal plane as he was, almost all of Ragnaros's power had gone into the explosion. He was much weakened. As he says, when you go into Molten Core, and we're going to start talking about Molten Core here, when you go into Molten Core and you actually confront Ragnaros, he says to... Major Domo Executus too soon. He wasn't done resting. It took so much of his power to pull him through into Azeroth that the explosion that destroyed... Because keep in mind, what he did with the Cypher of Damnation, what the, what Sorcerer Thantharsen did was to directly circumvent the will of the Titans. The Titans banished the Elemental Lords to the various Elemental Planes. They banished Ragnaros to the Firelands. To pull him back into Azeroth meant directly going through the barriers that were put up to keep them out. And remember, when 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 Deathwing broke those barriers, he had to destroy the Titan Pillar in Deepholm that was holding the worlds apart. He had to actually destroy that. Thorson did it without destroying any of the of the protections, so the power release was enormous. Because it's the Titans had literally created barriers between the worlds, so you couldn't do this. And even then, like the cavern that you go into, like when you go into Ragnaros's lair, look up and look around. There are runes and uh, just adorning the walls to try to keep that place from completely exploding. Right, everything about that, everything about that is not necessarily like a containment, but a redirection of the energy in order to keep it from just consuming itself, which is absolutely fascinating and also i think very fitting why ragnaros is using that place uh where 
essentially he has entered into this plane where there is the weakest link between here and the Firelands at the time uh, in order to gain and gather his power. Uh, it's just, it is absolutely, I'm trying to think about it. It's like, it's like sticking a lightning rod down, right? It, you know where it's going to hit. Uh, and when it does hit and when it finally sort of strikes, it is absolutely impressive and chars everything around it. That's what's happening here. And you can see the effects of the long-term sort of exposure that is happening here from the layer outward, from the place where he was summoned outward. You can see more and more uh, almost elemental scarring, how the land is shaped, how everything around it is sort of molding to uh, essentially Ragnaros just being there. And that's kind of what Molten Core really is. It's this... All of that is because Ragnaros is there shaping it to his will. And that's when he's sleeping, that's what he's he's kind of doing. He's taking that power in, and the more powerful he gets, the more it emanates out. Yep. So basically, that's how we got the Molten Core. Because these three dwarf clans went to war over who got to be in charge at Ironforge. And, one, and the, the Dark Irons would not accept defeat. That's how we ended up with a giant you know, wasteland in the middle of the mountain range and this enormous spire completely crammed full of elementals turned into like the largest dwarven city on the planet. And at its heart, at the very depth of the volcano, where the molten fury of the of the volcano slumbered, that's where the Fire Lord himself, Ragnaros, slept, attempting to regain the power that he had expended to break through those barriers because uh, one ambitious dwarven sorcerer decided that he was going to use a, an artifact he did not understand. And not only did he pay the price, his people paid the price. Uh. Now, the interesting thing about how we get there, too, is it, it definitely links back to uh, Dagron Theresian. So we wind up going on a series of quests, and everything, again, starts with the dwarves here, where Moira Bronzebeard has been, quote-unquote, taken captive uh, by the dastardly Dark Iron Dwarves, long thought since to be dead and dormant, uh, but now, well, they're not. They're out there, and they're doing nasty things, and apparently they've absconded with the heir to the Bronzebeard lineage. And so we are sent to go retrieve her. And this is where we break through uh, into Black Rock Mountain, go through Black Rock Depths, uh, and find Emperor Theresian, or I'm sorry, Emperor Diagron Theresian at this point, with Moira next to him. And we go through, we kill him, we kill his seven, because he has recreated the seven as a ruling body, almost in uh, similar, they, they operate in a similar role, almost like the Dwarven Senators back when everything was under one Chasmodon uh, kingdom. Yeah, and also, there's the seven, the original seven, Mm -hmm. are Which, there as ghosts. Yes. So you fight them too. Yes. Uh, the original seven spirits are there, uh, and they're, they are actually on your way to uh, face uh, Dagron Theresian. But as you kill him, you are you realize that, well, Moira was there by herself. She wanted to be there. She was in love with him. And a powerful... Because, yeah, one of the things I love about this... Not to interrupt you. No, no, please. One, one of the things I love about this is that the reason she loved him is because he was the only one to actually care what she said. She wasn't, you know... He didn't respect her only for her Bronzebeard heritage. He actually listened to her. He, he took her advice. He cared about her opinion. He, something her own father didn't do. Yeah, he accepted her as a powerful sorceress because she was a powerful sorceress. She still is. Uh, 
Like we see that. We see that when you're going through several of the uh, later expansions, you see how much power she can wield. And she just didn't, like Matt's pointing out, her father never recognized her. Her father never recognized that. If anything, it was more that sort of traditional stereotype. She was the princess that would eventually be married off, right? To secure the next line of whatever would happen for the the, uh, the Bronzebeard clan. But she sits there and she grieves over his body, refuses to come back with us because that's where she wanted to be, and is now the de facto leader of the Dark Iron Dwarves, despite some of them not accepting it, which comes up later on, which we'll, we'll get to at some point. Yeah. Us- the, the, well, one thing you should point out, too, is one of the reasons that she rose to power in the Dark Irons was that she was, you know, that Daygrun had respected her, but also she was pregnant with his child. So Which they kind of had to yeah. accept her because they had, she had the heir to the throne inside of her at the time. And so after this, she starts plotting and planning. Now, she is not compelled in the same way that the Dark Iron Dwarves are necessarily uh, by, Ra- by Ragnaros. And she starts hatching a plan, hoping to free the Dark Iron Dwarves from the Fire Elemental's rule. And she is the one that started leaking the rumors and stories about, one, the threat that lays at the center of the Molten Core deep below the Blackrock Mountain, but also the treasure trove of just, well, I guess treasure that is laying there in his grasp. This includes things like the Cenarian Rainments, which are were a very important symbol of, like, that Druid's wanted to recover you start letting those little tidbits go that there's a massive threat but not only is there a massive threat there's tons of ancient treasure to be uh gotten or returned back to the world now you start enticing the heroes of azeroth to start taking the fight to your captor themselves without you having to lift a finger and that was incredibly incredibly intelligent and shrewd and just showcased how how well she looked at situations and devised plans because now she could still be seen leading the people in the way that Ragnaros and his elementals want so that no more harm comes to them. She can be seen doing what she needs to do to keep up appearances all the while waiting for the adventurers and heroes of Azeroth to come and send the uh, fire elemental back from this plane and beat back him and all of his minions. And there were a lot of minions uh, that he had summoned or had come to this place uh, as part of like his power base, right? It wasn't just elementals either. You had oh, his, the major domo that from the Firelands came. His his salamander ally. Yeah, he he pulled through giants. Uh, Sulfurans, I think. Yeah, he, he he was just he was not kidding. Like this was going to be the, the this was going to be a full a full fledged invasion. They, they were coming in in force. Uh, Ragnaros intended to set the entire planet on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that, unfortunately for him, he was still sleeping off his, you know, explosion, so he couldn't really do much to stop us. And when we got to Major Domo, we managed to beat him until he was compelled to actually summon Ragnaros forth, which Ragnaros didn't want. Ragnaros did not want to fight us yet. He wasn't ready. Uh, that's one thing that did be said on Moira's behalf, too, is we're talking about how she manipulated people. She manipulated the Hydraxian Water Lords. Yep. They're not exactly easy to manipulate. They're giant water elementals. They don't really have the usual needs and wants, but she managed to get them. Their sheer hatred for the Fire Lord and his minions was so great that they actually man- she managed to actually manipulate them. 
they straight up helped helped her along. They did her bidding. She didn't even know it. They had no idea she was behind any of this. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and I think it is. Uh, it's Duke Hydraxis. I think is the one that sh- that wound up getting convinced to to do that. Right, like it just feeding feeding that information to that elemental because I think it comes up in Legion um, because you deal with Hydraxis instead of Neptalon, uh, despite Neptalon magically showing back up in Legion. But that's a whole other story. Uh, but he's sent uh, to work with you on Neptalon's behalf. And there is definitely interplay there that says, you know, hey, we're not going to get God again. However, you know, the Hydraxian Water Lords did what they needed to do because that was what they, well, needed to do. They needed to make sure Ragnaros didn't come back to Azeroth and exact his, his essentially his purge protocol. And Moira knew that. Moira somehow knew that, I mean, I guess it's pretty much common sense that water and fire don't get along together. But that the elementals, in some capacity, uh, didn't like each other and knew exactly what strings to sort of pull to to get the Hydraxian Waterlords involved. And they're the ones that recruit the adventurers to go forth and do that. They're the ones that give yeah. us the ability to move through and actually snuff out the runes that have been very carefully placed throughout all of Moltencore to sort of expand the power base of Ragnaros, right? Like that's why his power was being held into that place was these these fiery branded runes that no nothing else except for uh what was the name of the item? Quintessence that, of water. The quintessence of water. Nothing aside from the quintessence of water could actually extinguish. And here we go, doing all of that, slowly eroding his power as we're going through taking out his different generals, uh, killing his favored pet uh, and giant sire of all of the other core hounds. Like, we are... The beast. Like, we are going through and doing all of this because Moira needed us to do this. And it should be pointed out, too, um, one of the things that we find out about the elementals, the first time we find out the elementals are in conflict is in the Molten Core Raid. And one of the things we find out is... On Ragnaros's minions are two pieces of an ancient artifact that allows you to summon Thunderon, the Prince of the Air. And the reason that this exists is because Ragnaros and his minions ambushed Thunderon mm-hmm. and consumed him. So the elementals fight to the point where they destroy each other. Like Ragnaros and his people like destroyed Thunderon, but because Thunderon was the son of an elemental lord, it was the kind of consumption that lasts eons. And by regaining the pieces of the talisman, you were able to recreate Thunderon and and battle him directly. So that that's also related to the Molten Core. That's something else that happens while we're there. That's something that you need to know about in terms of the elementals. In terms of the Molten Core itself, the reason that you know the elementals are all in opposition. So there's there's a ton of interest. Like Ragnaros ultimately is a threat to all the other elemental lords because even even earth he wants to make into molten goo he wants to to burn the to, you know to burn the land uh, boil away the seas choke the air with smoke they are they're all like this they're all fighting like this and ragnaros is the chief architect of it yeah and it's not just uh not just those bindings that exist there as well too right like there's even items that sort of inform the lore of the area as well with we're talking about uh, we're talking about Thunder Fury. We should also probably talk about Sophiris, the Hand of Ragnaros, right? Ragnaros's main weapon was this mighty fire-infused uh, war mace that was essentially an extension of, of him. And 
what we do is something that Emperor Thyresian couldn't have done. And we go through and use uh, metal forged in the fires, essentially of his essence, right? Sulfurian ingots. Um, we take the Eye of Sulfurus uh, and we infuse the essence of the Fire Lord essentially into this item. We diminish him, we send him back, but we keep just enough of him, just enough of his power to create this devastating artifact. And at this point, I would consider it an artifact. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a legendary weapon in the game, but that's just the game. Yeah. In terms of what the item is, the the thing is, is that the Sulphuros Hand of Ragnaros that you create is not the original. No. Of course it's not. The original is, a nat- is massive. And the original uh, is, is a piece of him. Yeah. The uh, That's why you see it when you fight Ragnaros again in the Firelands, he, has he drops Sulphuros the Extinguished Hand, which is, again, it's it's not the original. It's just a recreation of it. It's like an echo of it. Because the original is part of Ragnaros. But the item that you create, the Sulphuros Hand of Ragnaros, is enormously powerful. Um, it is, again, it's another piece of Ragnaros. The problem Ragnaros always had is that he never got a chance to fight us at full. Mm-hmm. Even when he went back to the Firelands, he'd just gone through... You know, he'd, he'd gotten driven out of Azeroth twice because he gets pulled back into Azeroth by Deathwing. Mm-hmm. And the explosion that time is what creates the, the fire destroyed part of Hyjal, which may not be as big as the, as the, uh, the, you know, burning the blasted lands and the, is it the blasted gorge. lands or the burning steps? It's the burning, burning steps. steps. Yeah. It, the burning steps and the searing gorge are bigger than that part of, of Hyjal, although not by much. But the hydro part actually has like straight up molten lava everywhere. It's like pouring out of the ground. In both cases, Ragnaros is forced back, and by being forced back, again he loses a portion of himself and doesn't get time to regain it. Ragnaros was really unlucky in that way because he'd been pulled through. What really gets me is we don't understand how Deathwing pulls him through. Yeah, it's never actually fully explained. It's quite possible Deathwing had the cipher of damnation because again. The Cypher of Damnation was probably the thing that the uh, the um, old gods used to enslave the, the Elemental Lords in the first place, and Deathwing served an old god. So it's quite possible that he was given the Cypher of Damnation. But yeah, there's a the Molten Core was basically, had we not gone in when we did, had we not acted when we did, there was going to be a giant fire elemental invasion within a few years. Yeah, and you so already we, you already see bits of it too, right? Like part of that was was also the explanation of why the elementals that we run into uh, near there, right, are so unruly and quick to anger. And if you play a shaman in the early parts of the game, uh, you are it's interesting because when you back then when you started and you did your totem quests, it wasn't totems that were carved by you they were given to you by elementals that you worked with and bargained with and that's all of them the water elementals the air elementals the earth elementals and the fire elementals you dealt with them the ones on azeroth uh to sort of come to an agreement and they granted you the ability to call upon them when they deemed you worthy but as you get closer to where the burning steps are as you get closer to where blackrock the spire actually is when Blackrock Mountain actually is, they get a lot more unruly. You can't reason with them. There are several quests that I don't think exist anymore that actually dealt specifically with that uh, pre-cataclysm. You might be able to see them in classic. I haven't played. 
uh, nearly enough to, to know if it exists or not. But as a shaman, you were sent to go deal with them because they couldn't be reasoned with. And part of that is because they weren't they weren't listening to anybody else's anything because their general was, you know, slumbering a couple miles away. And his power was still there. And it's like, why am I going to listen or bargain with you, meatbag, when the guy that's going to burn this place to the ground is going to pop up any moment and then we're going to be the ones in charge? And it was always a nice little touch because it made perfect sense. It made sense that as you got closer to his domain of power, that they wouldn't listen to you. They wouldn't bargain with you. They wouldn't care about you because, again... They're big bosses there. So why do they care? Why should they even deign to acknowledge your existence? And I think that was absolutely just phenomenally fascinating. Now, this, I think, is one of the important points of the game where Molten Core being essentially the first 40-man raid that you experience and having such a deep connection to the lore of the world is important. Because, again, the War of the Three Hammers, that was just world-defining. Everything that happened to that point was world-defining. Ragnaros being summoned by Emperor Tharesian created two whole zones. Not a little insignificant thing. These lands were shaped and, and morphed and melted by this. The Twilight Highlands, they would not be there. They would not exist if not for the events that led up to this. And essentially what we are doing at this point when we go in there in that 40 man raid for that very first time is cleaning up an ancient mess, an ancient mess rooted deeply in the lore and history of the dwarves themselves, deeply rooted in the history and lore of Azeroth itself with the containment of the elementals. And in truth, as our first glimpse into why the Titans had to do what they did to get the elementals out of the way and exactly how powerful the forces of the Titans were in order to accomplish that goal. We didn't know it at the time. Like we had glimpses and, and, and little tiny snippets that sort of led us that way. when we're talking about Aldum and, and, and some of the other places that we go. But when you look back on it and you realize, huh, we are Titan creations, essentially. We are descendants of Titan creations doing the same thing that they did to this unfathomably... I wouldn't even call... or I'm not even going to call Ragnaros evil. He is essentially an elemental force. And he's yeah, he doing what fire does. Yeah. That's yeah, what fire does. Things. He's fire. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the things about the elemental lords. The fact that they were enslaved by the old gods and that the old gods still have control over them to some extent does mean that they're awful, often doing evil things. But that's the old gods. And the old gods in themselves, calling them evil is sort of missing the point because they are, it's more like they are inimical. Mm -hmm. They want, you know, it's impossible to live a sane life around beings that refuse to accept anything as specifically true. You know, everything is true. Everything can be done. Everything is, you know, real. That's madness. And madness doesn't allow for sane ordered existence. But the elemental lords in particular are just the things they are. Like, you know, Alakir is air. He's capricious. He's, you know, f he's very hard to confine. He, you know, he's, he, he is those things. Neptalon is water. He's mercurial by nature, which is yeah. very, very true. 
Therizane is the earth, bedrock, the things that, you know, you know, nature comes from it. It is the support and it is the, but at the same time, it's stolen. It is, it is not easily changed. Which is also it, one of the reasons that we are able to deal with Therizane compared to the other ones before we dealt with any of the other elementals. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing about Molten Core is Molten Core is in its way, it's a microcosm of the Firelands. It is the Firelands erupting forth into Azeroth. Thorasan punched a hole and Ragnaros used that hole to pull more and more of the Firelands through into Azeroth. Had he not been stopped, he would have attempted to consume everything. He would have attempted to do exactly what he showed Thrall he was going to do when he was up on top of Hyjal. Mm-hmm. That's what that was his goal. It's always been his goal because that's what he is. Imagine, imagine if instead of Emperor Tharisian, if back then it had been uh, our good old friend Deathwing that had punched that hole and drawn Ragnaros through. Ragnaros at full power. Ragnaros not having been sent back from Azeroth twice previously. Ragnaros who hadn't lost control over a portion of the Firelands and embroiled in his own version of a civil war because that's a thing that was happening too don't forget uh what would it would that would have looked like a massively different thing and again look at how transformative those two zones are look how transformative molten core is and remember that it was not it was not originally just this cavernous uh molten place it was part of the black iron or the dark iron civilization how much it morphed and transformed in those creatures that call it home and think about how different that would have been had he had been at full power or or given access with a larger hole right it's it's this idea that you start with a pinprick and that's kind of what Tharisian punched that hole through reality. This small little pinprick. And he reached through it and he pulled out Ragnaros. Well, Ragnaros is still tethered there. And all these years, Ragnaros is trying to pull that hole larger. Stretch it to a point where more and more, not just himself, but his land can come through. So he can complete his directives. So he can, whether it's at the behest of the old gods or whether it's on his own fiery nature to consume the world we got lucky <laughs> we got lucky that Thoresian wasn't better than he was that the seven weren't more powerful than they were and that they didn't quite understand fully the cipher of damnation and that item itself is rooted in such rich history for the game where it's come up so many times in fact it even comes back up in warlords of draenor there's an alternate version of it that exists you see it when you go to outlands there's reference to the cypher of damnation when you're going through i think it's shadow moon valley yep it's the the quest from ornog tornhart uh and it's you see it the cypher of damnation is the thing that goldon used to destroy what is the shadow moon valley because mm -hmm. if, if you went to draenor in Warlords of Draenor, you saw Shadowmoon Valley as it had been. Gul'dan used it to rip the elementals away from the world and and turn Shadowmoon Valley into a fell-encrusted heck hole. That's that huge fell-spewing volcano in the center of it, all that blasted area. Gul'dan did that before Draenor got destroyed and turned into Outland. He ruined Shadowmoon just because he could. And, and we see him use it Again, as, as Joe just pointed out, we see him use it in Draenor to enslave Siruk the Fire Lord. Yeah, the dirge That's of Karabor. <laughs> like he's yeah. he's not a joke. He's a massive he's a massive powerful being, 
and he is enslaved by Gul'dan. It, you know, he's he's a Fire Lord on his world. His he is a the version of Ragnaros, and the cipher actually worked in Gul'dan's hands. Gul'dan actually pulled it off. Granted, Gul'dan was getting help from the Burning Legion, but he did it. So keep in mind just how much power uh, Thorasan failed to control. Yeah. So all this to say that at the end of the day, Moltencore is a very, very important raid. And it's one of those things that I think a lot of people maybe take for granted now. Maybe you didn't experience it when it first came out. Uh, maybe you just run through it with uh, your buddies or, or maybe by yourself for transmog. But when it was an at-level event, it it had a little bit of that importance brought back into it because, again, it was the first raid, but it was the first raid that was just steeped and and basically the culmination of years and years of buildup, years of lore that the game had, uh, even though it was a brand new game that, and I understand that they had uh, created a lot of this essentially for World of Warcraft, but it was an important part of a lot of establishing the depth and breadth, essentially, of Dwarven culture, as well as the Titans and the Elemental Lords. Because you hear about them as you're playing through, as you're leveling up, but you don't experience them. And Ragnaros is your first introduction to it. And it was not an easy fight back then. And it felt every bit as epic and in almost like that hopeless battle of you of a mortal going against living molten fire energy. It was a fantastic piece of story that is still being built upon today, right? And that's sort of the importance of that lore of that particular raid is that so much built off of it. And we'll talk about more of it as we go through the series, because there are at least two other raids that directly tie to Moltencore in where they are located and their creation and the history therein. And without Theresian, without the dwarves, without the War of the Three Hammers, without the elemental lords and the titans and the battle of the Black Empire, would never have existed. And it wouldn't have given us as much ongoing story as we have now. It wouldn't have made what happened with Deathwing nearly as important later on in Cataclysm. It wouldn't make what happened with Thrall nearly as important as it was in the events of you know him filling in for Deathwing with the other uh, dragons, when him trying to do the Dragon Soul events, Molten Core was a starting point, and it's a starting point that we are that is still paying dividends in game, in game story today. Is there anything else you want to add before we call it a day? Only that you know the the history of of Black Rock Mountain, the history of the various places that we will go in there is very much a big part of World of Warcraft, not just the original game, but continues to be a big part. It, it was a part again in Cataclysm. Um, it, it's even comes back in Warlords of Draenor when the, the, uh, the Iron Horde invades Blackrock Mountain and takes over the parts that were originally the Black Dragonflight. And it's tied to the Black Dragonflight and to uh, Deathwing himself and his, you know, his son, uh, Nefarian, and it's also tied to another dragon that we are going to talk about at some point, because right around, I think actually slightly after Molten Core, the next big raid that, that happened was Anixia's Lair. They were both released at the same time. 
Okay, I remember doing Molten Core first, but I, I'm willing. Everybody, to that they everybody did. did Molten Core first. But Anixia's Lair and how Anixia's Lair ties into the future of other raids, and how Anixia herself affected the history of World of Warcraft is a big deal, and it's something I think hopefully we'll get to do it next week. Unless you guys come up with some good questions for us, and so even the- maybe don't don't ask us nothing, and we can talk about Anixia all week. <laughs> But Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast sighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcasts, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. And again, if you do have questions for the show, uh, even if you want to know more about what we talked about, you want to go a little more in depth, are there things that you want us to, to sort of spend more time on with what we talked about here with Molten Core, be sure to send them in. You can send those into podcast at blizzardwatch.com or send them to one of our many channels on Discord. If you're a Patreon supporter, we have the Patreon queue and podcast section. And if you are not, which again, we understand, uh, there is the uh, queue questions section, which we do look for for uh, questions for either podcast as well. Just make sure you specify what podcast it is for. But with that, I do want to thank you all for joining us for our lovely uh, romp through memory lane of Molten Core, uh, and we will see you next week. 